Hey, glad you're all, uh, you all are here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you open them up uh, to the book of Malachi? You may be there already. If you're not, you can grab uh, one of the Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, you can turn to page 778, the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, we are working our way through a, a sermon series in the book of Malachi simply entitled Half-Hearted. And uh, this morning we're in part three of that sermon series as Malachi encourages uh, uh, both the Israelites and uh, us today to honor God, to honor God in all that we do by giving him our very best. Let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Father, would you be with us this morning? Would you bless the teaching and preaching and listening and doing and living of your word that you may receive much glory and honor. You are a great king and you are worthy of everything that we can give to you. And so, Father, may our offerings and our sacrifices be well-pleasing to you as we offer them uh, through your son, through faith in your son, Jesus, our great high priest who has gone before us into the heavens, preparing a way, uh, becoming our mediator. Uh, so that we can have a real, living, vital relationship with you. We ask these things in that name, the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it was a rainy Sunday afternoon, and uh, a brother and sister were taking a bath together. And as they were taking a bath, they were playing one of their favorite games. In fact, the, the preacher had preached on that just that very morning, and so they decided to play Noah's Ark. Uh, an old shoebox was their ark, and of course the bathtub was the flood. And after the flood was over, uh, they were done playing with the flood, uh, draining the water. They decided to give an offering to God, because of course that's what Noah did. And so Noah, who of course was the little boy, said to Mrs. Noah, or his sister, Here, why don't you take one of your toy animals and let's offer it as a sacrifice? No, she, she replied, no, let's take one of your animals instead. And so a little squabble ensued, and, and, and the, the, the young girl then got a bright idea. She uh, ran off uh, to her room, and she, she came back, and she came back with one of uh, her old beat-up toy animals. It was a toy lamb, and uh, it's, it was filthy dirty. Its head had been kind of smashed in. It had a tail missing. You get the idea. An old, tattered, uh, worn-out toy. And uh, the sister said, I, I've got a great idea. Let's give this toy as a sacrifice to God. We don't want it. We'll never play with it again. Let's give this to God. And her brother, of course, agreed, and they made their sacrifice, and that little tattered, worn-out, unwanted lamb was the offering, the sacrifice that they gave to God. Well, as we move into the second dispute, which is in the book of Malachi, we're going to discover that God's people both the priests and the parishioners were giving sacrifices to God that, like this little lamb, they simply did not want. Failing to honor God, failing to revere God by giving him their best. And in each of these disputes, uh, as we have learned and will continue to see, this dispute in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6, begins with a charge. It begins with a charge by God against the people. Then it's followed by a cross-examination. That is, the people question that charge. God, have we really done this? And then it ends with God confirming, with the confirmation. God confirming his charge against his people. 
So that's where we're going to be heading. We see the charge, we see the cross-examination, and then we get the confirmation. However, unlike the other disputes in Malachi that we have seen and that we will see, this section actually has a fourth, uh, a fourth part to it. It's an addendum, a bit of a postscript, and that's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, in which the Lord gives a caution to the priests and the people on what will happen if they keep offering these kind of dishonorable, despicable, deplorable sacrifices sacrifices to him. Now we'll cover that section next week. So we will see the charge, the cross-examination, and then the confirmation. So today, Malachi is going to say to the people of God of old and uh, us today, honor God. We are to honor God by giving him our very best. Well, let's begin with the charge. Let's take a look in our Bibles uh, in, uh, the, in, in your lap or maybe behind me. Let's begin with the charge. It begins in verse 6. The disputation begins with God leveling a charge specifically against Israel's priests. So God begins with the leadership of his old covenant people. Verse 6 reads this way. God says this, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. So God begins this charge to the Old Old Testament, Old Covenant priests by using an analogy, right? He uses an analogy that I think we all can understand. Normally, a son would honor his father. And normally, a slave would honor his master. And God says, but I am your heavenly father. I am your great master. And yet you, my people, specifically the priests, you have failed to honor me. Where is the honor due me? Literally, the word honor in Hebrew has the meaning of heaviness, to give somebody weight or significance. They have failed to recognize that God is weighty that he is significant, right? That he is important. Maybe you've heard it said of somebody in authority, in a business, or maybe in a political context, they throw their weight around, right? It may be said, well, they throw their weight around. What does that mean? Well, it means that they, le- they use their authority, right? They, they, le- they use their level of importance to get things done. The idea here is that the priests of all people, of all of God's people, the priests were to honor, revere, Show everybody how significant, how weighty, how important God is. But they were failing to do that. In fact, Malachi even goes further. He says that they were showing contempt. They were showing contempt for the name of God. That is, they considered his name, his reputation, invaluable, worthless. In fact, they disdained it. And these were supposed to be the leaders of the people of God. Now, this leads us to our first of of many principles for the morning. And the first principle this morning is simply this. God is to be honored. God is to be revered, respected, feared. He is to be honored because of who he is. I look at my own life and I wonder, can I be guilty of what these priests were doing? Maybe treating and speaking of God too flippantly, too casually, too irreverently, of of underestimating his inestimable worth, his power, his glory, his holiness, his authority, his significance in my life. Maybe you have done that too. Friends, God is to be honored. 
He is to be honored simply because of who he is. So we see the charge has been leveled, specifically at the spiritual leadership of Israel, the priests. And God says, you have not honored me. You have failed to honor me. In fact, you have contempt for me. Well, then let's look into the cross-examination of that charge because the priests answer this charge starting in at the tail end of verse 6 and running into verse 7. They respond. The priests' first cynical cross-examining question begins at the tail end of verse 6. Let's take a look at the word together. But you ask, Malachi putting the words in the priest's mouth, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? So this is, this is interesting. Because the spiritual leaders of Israel, the priests, were claiming ignorance. Uh, they ha- had been charged with not honoring God. And they say, well, God, how have we done that? How have we not, how have we failed to, to honor you, right? They're claiming ignorance as to how they might have been doing this. But in reality, as we'll see in just a second, they knew full well how they were dishonoring God. They were feigning ignorance. You know, one of my children, uh, who will remain nameless at this point, uh, oftentimes, if we will ask them, say there's a fight, kids are crying, that happens a lot in my house, and we, uh, we would go to one and we'd say, did you hit your sister? Did you slap your brother, right? Something wrong. Did you do it? And uh, this particular child, uh, we always know when, they are, are, when they're lying, right? Because they kind of get this big grin on their face, and they answer, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, as if uh, feigning ignorance would somehow make us believe uh, that they were not guilty. This is what the priests were doing. God says, You've, you haven't honored me. And they look up at God with a smile. I don't know. How have, how have we done this, God? Well, God, God's going to tell them. Take a look at verse 7. By offering defiled food on my altar. See, the priests who were uh, offering animal sacrifices along with other things on the altar of God, they were bringing things in sacrifice to God that God had told them were unacceptable. In places like Leviticus 22 and other places, God says, here are the things that you can offer to me. And here are the things that you cannot. And they, as priests, were taking things that they should not offer to God, and they were offering it to God. They were dishonoring God with their actions. They were dishonoring God with their actions. So in response, they have a second objection. Take a look at the tail end of verse 7. But you ask, so here's here's the second cross-examination, but you ask, how have we defiled you? Now this is kind of a tricky question, because what the priests in response were doing is they kind of go into lawyer mode. They go into lawyer mode, if you, if you know what I mean. Uh, they're looking for a loophole here against God's charge. So they say something like this. Okay, well, well, yes, God, we have offered defiled animals, unacceptable sacrifices on your altar. On your altar, yes, we've done that. But, but that doesn't mean we've defiled you, does it? They were playing the part of the lawyer. They were looking for a loophole. And so God responds by saying, you not only dishonor me in your actions, but you dishonor me in your attitudes. Look at verse 7, the tail end. By saying, the Lord responds, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. See, here their attitude is highlighted. Their attitude was that the priesthood, their job, was miserable. Not some undeserved honor like it was. So they thought, oh, this is such a miserable thing that we must do as priests. So they dishonored God, both in their actions 
and in their attitudes. And Malachi is going to flesh both of these things out as we move along. But let's see our second principle here from this section on the cross-examination. And here's the principle. We, moving to us today, New Testament believers, we as priests, you and me, are to offer honorable sacrifices to God, both in action and in attitude. We as priests are to give God things that honor him, both in our action and in our attitudes. Now, you may be thinking, Trey, uh, it's been uh, a while, or I never have, have, have been a, a Levitical priest. I've never slaughtered a ram or a, a goat or a bull. I've never brought God a, a grain offering, and that's certainly true. But the Bible tells us, specifically in the New Testament, that under the New Covenant, we who have placed our faith in Jesus are actually priests. We are priests unto God. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It should be on the screen behind me. Peter says this, You also, talking to Christians, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy, what? Priesthood. To be a holy priesthood. Well, what are we supposed to offer as this priesthood? Well, he tells us, To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if our sacrifices as New Testament priests that we are to offer to God aren't animals and aren't food, what are we supposed to bring to the altar as Christians, as priests? What are we supposed to bring? Well, let me just give you a a quick rundown. I see uh, seven things in the New Testament that uh, God tells us are the offerings, the sacrifices that we as Christians are to bring to his altar, just with the the references for time's sake. Uh, First of all, we are to offer our bodies. We are to offer our bodies. That is our very lives. Romans 12, 1. You're probably familiar with that passage, right? We are to offer the sacrifice of our gratitude, of having a grateful, thankful heart. We are to offer him the sacrifice of praise, the praise of our lips, Hebrews thirteen fifteen. We are to offer him the sacrifice of meeting other Christians' needs. We are to offer him the sacrifice even of our suffering. Suffering for the sake of Christ. It's a pleasing aroma to God. It's what we are to offer him. Not only that, but we are to offer him our money. Philippians 4, 18. What about the sacrifice of evangelism? Telling other people about the gospel and about Jesus. That, the New Testament tells us in Romans fifteen sixteen is a sacrifice that we bring to the altar of God. And then this one's fascinating. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul tells us, as he's on death's door, about to be beheaded uh, in Rome. And he says that even his very death, even the moment of his death, he offers it to God as an honorable sacrifice. So these are the things, as priests unto God, as new covenant priests, we are to be offering to God to honor him, both in our actions and in our attitudes. We'll flesh these out in just a bit. So we've seen the charge. Malachi says, speaking for God, priests, you have failed to honor me. They question that. They give a cross-examination. How have we done that? Well, you're offering defiled food on my altar. Oh, well, okay. Uh, well, uh, what exactly are we doing? Well, your, your attitude and your action is both dishonoring to me. So God then, moving into the main section of this chapter, verses 8 through 14, in the confirmation of his charge, he's going to flesh this out. He's going to say, let me just tell you, O priests, and then he gets to the people. 
here's how you have dishonored me, both in action and in attitude. And he begins with the priest, starting in verse 8, running through halfway through verse 13. He begins in verse 8 with the priest's actions. What were they doing specifically that dishonored God? Well, let's read together in verse 8. He says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? See, God is now getting specific with the priests. It's not just uh, defiled food, but he's naming names. He says, listen, this is what you're doing. You're giving me blind animals. You're giving me uh, lame animals. You're giving me diseased animals. All of which, in Leviticus 22, Deuteronomy 15, God says specifically, don't bring these. Don't offer me these kind of sacrifices. And so two times in verse 8, God hammers home the point. Is this not wrong? Of course it was wrong. They knew it was wrong, and they didn't care. He gives another practical example. He says, listen. Remember, they were under Persian rule, right? The Persians were ruling over them even though they were back in the promised land. And he says, he just paints a picture for them. Imagine, imagine if the Persian governor, he rules over your land. If he's coming over for dinner and you want to give him a gift, you want to you wanna honor him by giving him a gift. If you, if you give him a blind goat and if you give him a lame donkey or whatever, is he going to be happy with that, Right? Would an earthly king be pleased with these kind of sacrifices is his argument? Of course not. They wouldn't give that to a human king, but they were giving that to the true king, to the king of heaven. And this leads us yet to another principle. It's a simple one. God deserves our best. God deserves our best. See, it's not that the priests weren't offering anything to God right? It's not like they weren't giving God anything. They just weren't offering the best. They weren't giving him the best. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, I was in Champaign, like I, I typically am, getting groceries, and uh, it was uh, an early morning, and I had been given a Starbucks gift card. And uh, so I swung by Starbucks uh, there on the south sh- side of Champaign, and I got my venti what do I get? Caramel? I don't know. It's the caramel drink. It's, it's lovely. I, I commend it to you. And I got a big one because it was a long day of shopping. And uh, by the way, I only go there when I have gift cards. So if you want to love your pastor, give me some Starbucks gift cards because um, you know, it's, it's expensive. Anyway, so I, I'm going there and I notice that there is a guy kind of perched at the entrance and the exit of the Starbucks and he's asking for money. And, uh, and, I, and I noticed that. And uh, then I go to Sam's. Uh, and as I'm at Sam's, I notice that there is a, another guy, a different guy, uh, kind of perched at the entrance and the exit of, of Sam's asking for money. And the reason why I, I bring this up is I want us to begin to think about how do we typically treat people who are, who are begging? How do we treat them? I don't mean do you give or do you not. Um, it's just speaking personally. If I am so inclined to give money, uh, to uh, one of those uh, people there at Sam's or, or Starbucks, what I typically do is I, I get my wallet and I see w- what kind of cash I have. And uh, let's just say I have a 20 and a 5 and some 1s. Typically, I don't go for the 20. I typically go for the 5 or the 1s. Right or wrong, that's just kind of my practice. You know, because in, in my mind, I think, well, they'll be happy with anything. That's what I think. They'll be happy with anything that I, I give them right? That's how the priests thought about 
God. They thought, God will be happy if I just give him anything. It doesn't matter if it's acceptable to him or not. He'll just be happy with it. Friends, do you think that way about God? He'll just be happy with anything that I want to give him. See, the priests were offering God the pocket change, the scraps from the dinner table, thinking he would be pleased. Similarly, we have to ask ourselves, are we giving God the best of our sacrifices, our New Testament sacrifices? Remember those seven things that we are to offer to God as New Testament priests? Are we giving him the best of our bodies, the best of our very lives? Are we using our bodies to honor God, to honor others with our bodies? Are we giving him all of our lives, access to every part of it? Think about it this way. If your life was a house, would God have the key to every room? Or would there be some that would be locked? Is there a do not disturb sign on the door handle of any room of your life? Where you say, God, you can have access to this one and this one, but not that one. See, that's what they were doing. Are we giving God the the best of... uh, of our thankful hearts, finding reason to be thankful in, in, in all situations? Are we giving him the best of, of our praise, of our songs at church, thinking, thinking as we sing, singing loudly, joyfully, thoughtfully, thinking about the, the truth that we're singing? Or, or do we just kind of go through the motions, mimicking the words on the screen so that we can get through with that and then get through with Trey and then we can have lunch, right? Are we thinking that way? Are we giving God the best of our money? giving to the local church and to other people who have needs? Or are we just kind of giving him the leftovers? God, well, here's what's left this month, and you'll be pleased with that. Are we giving God the best of our suffering? The best of our suffering as Christians? Counting it a privilege to suffer for him? Or are we bitter at somehow that we've lost influence in this world as Christians, and we're no longer accepted in society? Are we bitter? Are we suffering well? As Christians, am I giving God the best of my gospel sharing efforts with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my friends and family? Or are we just write it off? That's Pastor Trey's job. It's, it's Trey's job. See, these are the sacrifices that we were to bring to God. Are we bringing the best? Are we just kind of saying, God, be happy with what I'm giving you? Well, let's take a look at verse 9, because next, God makes it very clear how foolish it was for these priests to offer prayers to God for his blessings and his favor when they were despising him, not caring about obeying him. Notice verse 9, Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hand, God says, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. And here we see yet another principle. It's foolish to ask for blessing when we are intentionally dishonoring God. See, the priests were disobeying God flagrantly. They didn't care, and yet they had the gall to say, God, bless us. It's kind of like, I think of it this way, it's like a a teenage son or daughter who who says, Dad, I'd like to borrow your BMW. And they expect him to, to give it to them when they never obey him. They never respect him. They cuss him out. They talk bad about him to their friends. They they never make curfew, but they expect God to give the BMW. It's like they want the blessings that the Father can provide, but they don't take responsibility to honor him. And that's what these priests were doing. In verse 10, God goes so far. This must have been shocking. God goes so far to say that he would prefer that the priests shut the temple down altogether than to offer such abominable sacrifices. Notice verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. 
so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Boy, just chew on that. God says closing the church doors is preferable to perpetuating pointless praise. Wow. The section ends in verse 11 with a prophecy. It's a prophecy that, in contrast to the priest and their lack of honoring God, that one day in Messiah's kingdom, people from all nations would give pure and honoring sacrifices. Notice verse 11. My name, says God, will be, will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Well, he's talked about the priest's actions. But it's not just their action. It's their attitude. Take a look at verse 12. But you profane it, says the Lord. Instead of honoring my name, you profane it, says the Lord, saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. See, here's, here's what God's saying. Because they had no respect for God's stipulations on how to make offerings to him, it shows that they had no respect for him. Does that make sense? See, my friend Eric in college, he was gone for a summer, and he didn't need his car. He was going overseas. So he lent his car to a friend, and he had stipulations. He said, you can use my car for the summer, but, you know, don't go X amount of miles. Treat it, you know, nicely. Here, here are the things, right? Here are the rules. Long story short, his friend didn't, uh, didn't do that. And so when he came back, uh, Eric was, of course, uh, upset. And uh, a little bit later, that friend said, hey, can I borrow your car again? And Eric said, no, you can't. He said, why not? And he said, well, listen, you didn't treat my stuff with respect. And because you didn't treat my stuff with respect, you didn't treat me with respect. That's what God's saying. He's saying, you're not treating my altar, my sacrifice, my food with respect. And therefore, you're profaning me. But their attitude, see verse 13, their attitude becomes even more clear in verse 13. And you say, what a burden. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. See here, the attitude of the priests, the spiritual leaders of God's people is abundantly clear. What was their attitude towards their service to God? How did they view it? What a burden. See, instead of seeing it as an honor, they saw it as humiliating. Instead of seeing it as a privilege, it was a problem. Instead of a delight, it was just a duty. It was tiresome to them. It wasn't titillating. It was a burdensome. It was boring. It wasn't breathtaking to serve God. Friend, I wonder if your sacrifice and your service to God has become this way. It's fascinating in Hebrew. The text in the NIV says that they sniff, they sniff at their, their sacrifice, their service to God. They sniff at it contemptuously. Literally in Hebrew, it's the idea that they blow against it. They blow against it, which doesn't make sense until you, maybe I share this illustration. Maybe you have a teenage daughter, maybe you've been a teenage daughter, maybe you have a sister who's a teenage daughter, maybe you know a teenage girl. Um, sorry, teenage girls, I'm picking on you now. Um, I had a sister, and uh, she was once a teenager. And uh, I can't tell you how many times when my mom and dad would tell her to do something or make a comment or, I don't know, whatever context. <clears throat> and she would give them one of these. Maybe, maybe you've, you've heard it before. Uh, Megan, go clean your room. Do <clears throat> you know that? <clears throat> right? 
You're, 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 the, she's breathing out against that. Uh, what, uh. That's what the priests were doing. They were saying, uh, you really want us to do this, God? Uh, their attitude. So that leads us to another principle. principle. We must not see our service to God, as they did, as burdensome. As burdensome. Christians, for some of you, your sacrifices of service to God have become a burden. It's become a duty. It's become a drudgery. You look at the clock to see if the service will be done on time. And by the way, it's not going to be done on time today. Sorry. (laughs) It's not. Um, You dread coming to Awana. It's become burdensome. You stop coming to Sunday school because it just seems too early, 9 a.m. The men's and women's Bible studies, other opportunities, it's just kind of a too big of a commitment. It's a burden to you, right? Even coming to church every other week, it's, it's kind of off the table because there are other things on your agenda. It's just, uh, right? God, really? Uh, you want this from me? Friends, let's not let our service to God be a burden. Well, Malachi ends this section as he turns from the priests to the people. Because the people, the laity, they were involved as well. They were bringing these lame sacrifices. Specifically, notice verse 13. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Verse 14, he gives a specific example. Cursed is the cheat who has an unacceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be praised, feared among the nations. See, the people's part in this is that they were bringing these unacceptable sacrifices. They were vowing to bring good animals, but in actuality, they were bringing blemished ones. See, they were playing the old switcheroo, right? The old bait and switch. Maybe you've been there before, uh, car shopping or otherwise. You see in, in, on TV or in the newspaper, oh, that's a great deal. They have such and such for such a price. Let's go. And then you go and you find out they don't have it, right? But they have other things like it, and it's a lot more expensive, right? It's the old bait and switch, right? See, God's people were doing that. They were giving God the bait and switch, thinking he wouldn't know, he wouldn't care. And while we may be duped by that, God is never duped by our own bait and switch. Have you ever done that before with God? Oh, I know that I have done that before, right? God, I will do this. Oh, but no, that's a little bit too costly. I'm not going to do that, right? I can't do that. Um, God, I'll I'll be committed to be a part of a Bible study, but my schedule is getting a little full, right? I'll spend time in the Word more regularly. Well, I can't do that. God, I'll do this if you only do that, but it falls by the wayside. The old bait and switch. God says, I am a great king, and my name is to be feared. So, I want to close with a story. It's a story, a true story that I came across, written by a a pediatrician. And the pediatrician's name is David uh, Sierka. Hopefully I got that right. And he shares a story of a young girl that was both a patient in his practice and uh, a member of his church. And uh, it's a great story showing how, what a privilege it is for us to serve and to honor God. So I'll, I'll read his story now. He writes this, One Sunday my wife had prepared uh, a lesson, a Sunday school lesson on being useful. And she taught the children that everyone can be useful to God. And that doing so is, is a worthy honor. The kids quietly soaked it all in. Then one little girl named Sarah spoke up, Teacher, what can I do? I don't, I don't, I don't know how to be useful. 
She didn't anticipate that, so she looked around and spotted a, a flower vase that was on the windowsill. And she said, Sarah, you can bring in a flower and you put it in that vase and that would be a useful thing. And Sarah, she frowned. She said, that's not really important. It is, said his wife, if you're helping someone. Well, sure enough, the next Sunday, uh, Sarah brought a dandelion and placed it in the vase. In fact, he writes, uh, she continued to do so every week without reminder or help. She made sure that it was full. When his wife told the, the pastor about that, the pastor got word, and he, he moved that vase and set it right by his pulpit. And that Sunday gave a message about honoring God by, by serving others and giving our very best. And they were very moved by, by Sarah's flower. During that same week, the pediatrician writes, I got a call from Sarah's mother. She was worried because Sarah didn't have the energy like usual, and she didn't have much of an appetite. Uh, so I, I made my way uh, into, her, uh, into her house and uh, ran a battery of tests and did some examinations, and I sat numbly, he writes, in my office as uh, her paperwork sat on my lap. He writes, the results were tragic. She had leukemia. On the way home, I stopped to see Sarah's parents so that I could personally give them the news. See, the genetics, he writes, and the leukemia was attacking her body, and it was a horrible mix. Sitting at their kitchen table, I did my best to explain to Sarah's parents that nothing could be done for her. I don't think, he writes, I've ever had a more difficult conversation. Time pressed on, he says. Sarah became confined to bed in the visits that people gave her. Uh, then, the, he says, the phone call came. Sarah's mother asked me to, to come and see her. I dropped everything, and I ran to the house. There she was, a small bundle that barely moved. After a short examination, I knew that Sarah would be leaving this world soon, and I urged her parents to spend as much time with her as possible. That was Friday afternoon, he writes. On Sunday morning, church started as usual. The singing, the sermon, it all seemed meaningless to me. I was enveloped, he writes, by sadness. However, at the end of the sermon... Uh, pastor suddenly stopped speaking. His eyes were wide. His, he stared at the back of the church with utter amazement. Everyone turned to see what he was looking at, and it was Sarah. Her parents had brought her for one last visit. She was bundled in a blanket with a dandelion in one little hand. She didn't sit in the back row. Instead, she slowly walked to the front of the church where her vase still was perched by the pulpit. She put her flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it. Then she turned to her parents and seeing little Sarah uh, place the flower in the vase for the last time, of course, was moving. He writes, I could hardly bear to watch. Four days later, Sarah died. I wasn't expecting it, but our pastor asked to see me after the funeral. As we stood at the ceremony near the cars as people walked by us, the pastor said to me in a low voice, Dave, I've got something that you have to see. He pulled out of his pocket the piece of paper that Sarah had left by the vase. Holding it out to me, he said, you better keep this. I opened the folded paper and read in pink crayon what Sarah had written. And she wrote these words. Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life. Sarah. Her note and her vase, he writes, have helped me to understand. I now realize that a new way, in a new way that Life is an opportunity to serve God. And as Sarah put it, he writes, that is the biggest honor of all. See, that's Malachi's message to us this morning. Honor God. Honor God by giving him your best. And as Sarah wrote, it is the biggest honor of all. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives in a way that only you can, through your spirit, 
Father, help us to bring honorable sacrifices to you, both in our actions and in our attitudes, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you at lunch.